welcome back to the Coaches View podcast, a podcast hosted by professional football coaches for those of you who love to look at the game in minute detail. I am one half of the team, Harry Brooks, and I'm joined, as I always will be, by Richard Webster. Hello, Richard. Hi, mate. How are you doing? You okay? I'm good. I feel like the end is near. We're nearly there. The world is turning again. How do you feel about it all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, mate, to be honest. It's good to see some football this week, and I feel like we're inching towards... Uh, a normal schedule hopefully again soon so yeah feeling good yeah my missus moved back in she's actually here in the room with me today so I've told her you're not allowed to make any noise and we haven't killed each other yet so um, no it's all good so far but obviously today we can only talk about one thing as you said it is the return of football the Bundesliga returned over the weekend Um, can't quite say that it's like it's never left because it you know, it has changed quite a bit, but we are obviously going to be discussing that today. We're going to be talking about, is the Bundesliga the place to be for young stars? Um, but before that, I guess we have to recap the football over the weekend, don't we? Yeah, definitely. I mean, first off, it was great to see some football again. I think everyone's excited. Everyone's pumped to see some games um, as such as they were. Obviously, things were a little bit different. A lot of people will have watched um, I think it's just great to get some football back, though. Obviously, the eyes of the eyes of the whole of Europe and some parts of the rest of the world will be on Germany, um, and uh, seeing how they cope with things over over the next few weeks. But it seems like they got over the first hurdle pretty well, and it was just great to see some top level football again. A lot of people have said that you know they they don't really like it without the fans. I'm not too sure about that. I could watch football all day. You know, obviously the fans do make a difference, but. It's certainly not going to stop me enjoying watching a beautiful game and watching how teams play, but maybe that comes from a coach's perspective and how, you know, I was saying the other day to someone how I can't watch football anymore as a fan. For as long as I can remember, I've always watched the game, analysing it and watching it, you know, from a perspective of what teams are doing well and players and how they should improve. So for me, just being able to watch live football again is amazing with the fans or without the fans. I think um, I think the fans is a is a major impact. It's a major it's a major um, talking point. The lack of fans, obviously, you know, we all know why they're not there, but it is going to have an impact. I, I know what you're saying. I watch the game myself as a coach, and sometimes you overanalyze things. You look at things in too much detail, and you think you're missing out on actual just the pure enjoyment of football, of the reasons we got into in the first place. And it is like it will definitely have an effect on the players as well. You know, some teams are pushed on by their fans by fanatical home support. Um, the players tap into that. You know, we've all been at games uh, where the atmosphere is incredible and it, it's been a talking point afterwards and you get that. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about this and when you're on your way to a stadium and it's a big game, let's say Dortmund-Schalke, for example, um, or, you know, I've, I've, I've been to some big games where it's meant something, it's, it's meant something to both sets of fans. You can feel the aura, you can feel the vibe. There's a different... There's a different feel in the air, even just when you're walking down to the stadium. And obviously that's going to be missing for a while. So I think there is a big impact. But saying that, football's football at the end of the day. And we got to see some great action. So that was really good. Yeah. Did any games or any players stick out for you in particular? Well, I think it was it was uh, really interesting. We picked up last week about Dortmund Schalke. That was the standout fixture. You know, local derby, they go back a long way. They have a big history with each other. They're literally down the road from each other. Um, and, you know, Schalke would like nothing more than to upset Dortmund's title charge. Um, and the big question was, would Dortmund come flying out? And they certainly did that. Put them to the sword um, in emphatic fashion, which was brilliant, I thought. Um, Bayern Munich keep rolling on. Another professional win for them. So it doesn't seem to <laughs> doesn't seem like anything affects them, even eight weeks off or whatever it is. 
Uh, they just keep moving on forwards. And then, but the standout for me was it's got to be Leverkusen and uh, the the complete job they did on uh, Werder Bremen away. I mean, Bremen were particularly poor, but Leverkusen really, really shone there. That was fantastic. I mean, I was surprisingly busy over the weekend. So the only full game I managed to actually catch was um, um, Schalke versus Dortmund. And I could not believe... I have, it's been a few years since I've seen a team set up quite as badly as Schalke did. Um, right. I think... I don't know. It's weird. I don't know whether, you know, the... the Obviously, the team's not being quite match sharp. It had anything to do with it. But, you know, yeah. Dortmund... If I looked at Dortmund, I thought that, you know, they... They weren't actually as threatening as the scoreline would make you believe. But, you know, I didn't think they really penetrated through the centre. I thought that quite a lot of their creative players kept dropping very deep for the ball. So they didn't actually have that many players ahead of the ball. But what Schalke had done, they kind of matched them with the wing backs, And that just gave Dortmund an easy th- route in, into um, into space, you know. And we saw quite a few of the goals, at the, well, the first goal in particular anyway, where, you know, the Schalke wing back gets caught high. Hakimi, who's a very athletic, um, sorry, not Hakimi, um, Hazard runs in behind. Brandt yeah. flicks it on and he's got all the space in the world and crosses it in for Haaland to score. Um, and I was, just, I was very disappointed in Schalke. I thought they would um, would have set up far better. Um, and I thought that Dortmund, I thought Dortmund were possibly there for the taking. I don't know whether Lucien Favre um, set up quite negatively because he was worried about the energy. So obviously the lack of match fitness, maybe he didn't want players getting caught ahead of the ball too often and was quite... Um, um, pragmatic with regards to that and blocking the counter but I just yeah. thought Schalke set up their setup was all off and it just it gave Dortmund really easy routes into goal I didn't think Dortmund really had to work hard for it and then obviously they just ran out the scoreline I mean I'm not taking anything away from Dortmund there were some fantastic performances um, I'm a huge fan of Rafael Guerrero I think he's such a creative left back he's got so much variety to his game he's so versatile as well he can play in, he can play in lots of different roles I mean he was as a left wing back he was popping up you know in the inside right channel at times and yeah. you know just he, you know he scored two goals obviously um, fantastic finishes with his left foot I, I love him I love the way he plays football on the other side Ashraf Hakimi he's such an ag- aggressive athletic right back but so much technical quality and dribbling yeah. he was a huge threat and obviously Haaland is an absolute machine up front He, I think he's proof in the pudding that you know you could become an elite footballer while still having quite a few flaws in your game you know he's not the silkiest player he's not the nicest to watch but he's so aggressive, so athletic, so powerful. He knows where the goal is. His movement is fantastic. And as you said earlier, he's just ripping the league to shreds right now, isn't he? Oh, he, he certainly is. I, mean, I think it's 13 and 12 or 14 and 13, something like that since he joined Dortmund. He's certainly more than a goal a game, which is ridiculous um, for a, a lad as young as he is. And also not, you know, not even taking into consideration, it's such a big move to go to a club like that where the eyes are on you. You are expected to challenge for the league. They were top of the league. Um, so there is, there is pressure. Um, maybe he doesn't feel that as a young man. He's obviously really talented as well. But um, his aura seems to be very confident within himself, doesn't he? He doesn't seem to yeah. be faced by anything. I think that seems to be um, quite a thing. Uh, a recent a recent thing with young players at the moment. Um, they seem to be bursting on the scene. There is a there is a confidence now. There is a swagger about the the you know this young crop of players coming through. Not just in the Bundesliga. You see it in England as well in the Premier League and all across Europe. There are a lot of players, young players. You know, still teenagers coming through with a real swagger, a real self-belief. Do you think it's easier for young players? Sorry to interrupt. Do you think it's easier for young players to come through with that attitude nowadays? Because obviously, if you're looking back with the um, years gone by, the likes of Roy Keane and John Terry, if you had young players come up with uh, with all the yeah. confidence in the world and perhaps hadn't achieved anything yet, they'd probably get a clip around the year. But nowadays, a modern-day player probably wouldn't do that. Do you think it's easier for younger players to to flourish with that kind of attitude? 
Or do you think it's just one of those uh, things? I'm not, that's an interesting point, yeah, because a lot of people have spoken about that, the lack of maybe leaders, the lack of um, uh, mature role models or whatever it might be. I don't think it's any easier. I just, I just think um, that the game's changed slightly. And um, I think as ever... Um, if you're good enough, uh, you're old enough. Is still um, still applies. So you're seeing the top players like Sancho came through when he was a teenager, really good player. Phil Foden's doing great things in England. You know, from, from when he was young. Raheem Sterling. People forget Raheem Sterling was so young when he burst onto the scene uh, with Liverpool. I do think it is perhaps more the attacking players who burst onto the scene with this um, with this swagger uh, from the young players. Obviously further back maybe your centre halves you want them to be a bit more measured <laughs> and maybe not have that um, you want that level of confidence but maybe not on that level of uh, showmanship um, but yeah I take your point about Schalke as well I just think from what you're saying about the setup, um, it's a it's a tricky one isn't it it's a hard one for Schalke I get what you're saying um, but they're up against such a such an attacking machine in Dortmund that if you're not you, you could be 2% off, 5% off, and you could get walloped, you know, and that could be that could be against top sides. Top sides will get turned over um, by big scorelines by Dortmund as well. Um, so I but think... What was also really disappointed with them was that, you know, they, they got it wrong in the first half, I thought, with the wing-backs, yeah. but then when they changed it to the second half, they went to a 4-4-2 diamond, and it's like, you still haven't covered the wings here, and I just thought that I was really disappointed that they didn't put up more of a fight and more of a challenge, because... It is a huge derby. It does mean a lot. And it was just far too... It did... It sounds really easy to say because of the whole environment without the fans being there. But it really, to me, it did feel like it had a pre-season feel to it. And I don't think that was because yeah. of the because of you know the, the lack of match fitness or maybe the fans obviously did have a part to it. But I think it was genuinely because actually Dortmund found it far too easy to play against Schalke. I mean, they were in a bit of a deep block, um, Schalke, but they didn't really pose too much of a an issue for Dortmund to move the ball around. You know, Brandt was running the show, who's obviously a phenomenal player. But, you know, I just thought they could have made life a lot harder for Dortmund. And I was quite disappointed with their performance because they have had a good season. You know, they haven't really, they haven't really got any big stars, but, you know, they are, they are knocking on the, on, um, you know, in the, well into the top half of the table, just outside the, the, um, the more, not more established clubs, but probably the clubs that have been, I think over yeah, I think this season what we're seeing from Schalke is you know he's gone in, Wagner's gone in, he's steadied the ship. You know they really struggled last year. I actually think they're over in terms of league position, they're overachieving. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, or they're certainly as high up as they should be. I mean, as they could ever hope to be, because it, it is a squad that needs a refresh. Um, it is a squad. Well, they're just not in a good moment, are they? Compared to the likes yeah. of Leverkusen and Munchen Gladbach, who've had a good refresh with Marco Rose and Rennie Maric coming in and. Obviously, Nagelsmann yeah. and Leipzig, they're just not in that... The Schalke's just not in that time at the moment, are they? You know? Right, and they're right at the beginning of they're right at the beginning of the, of the project for the manager. You know, he's coming, he's very fresh there. So it's a, it's a difficult one. Maybe they were just caught cold, but I I, I stand by it that, that, that any team, especially against big teams now, Bayern Munich, Dortmund, you see it in um, uh, in England as well, like Man City or Liverpool, if, you know, even, uh, even a, a team like Chelsea or Manchester United, against a big side... If you're not set up correctly, if you're just off five percent, you can be on the wrong side of a of a of a you know a good hiding um, fairly easily because they are better from one to eleven. Um, so Dortmund are superior, um, and they've obviously they've obviously taken full advantage of Schalke. So fair play to them; it's a great start. Great back with a bang. Yeah, you obviously watched Leverkusen um, versus Bremen, and 
Kai Havertz, and I were both huge fans of his. Um, he stole the show. He's been compared quite a lot in in the UK to to Deli Ali. Um, I think he, I can yeah. see the similarities, but I think he's far more athletic and and dynamic than perhaps Deli Ali is. But um, what did you what did you make of him and how he played? I mean, yeah, the game as a whole was was really one sided. He was uh, he stole the show as he's done for the last uh, two or three seasons with Leverkusen. And he's by, he's far too good um, for that level. He'll obviously be moving on. Um, I think I actually think he's he's uh, a much better player than Deli Ali personally. Um, that's not to take anything away from Ali. I think Ali's a terrific player. I think as well he he gets maybe some unfair criticism because he's had a, some people's he's a perceived dip. I wouldn't necessarily liken him to Ali. I think he's better at running with the ball. Um, he's certainly more of a goal threat. Way more uh, athletic as well, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. Um, his goal record's superb. Uh, his assist record is superb. He can he really takes the ball well. Um, I've I've heard him compared to uh, Mesut Ozil, but in a more um, in a more dynamic. Back in the day when Ozil was perhaps a bit more dynamic. Um, in that kind of only in the sense of. The way that he can glide with the ball, the way that he's silky in possession, he's very smooth, very technically gifted. Uh, just a terrific player, all-round player. Um, everything you want from a, you know, a wide player or a forward who's going to boost your front line. He's, I think he's he could go to any of the biggest clubs in the world: Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, Liverpool, anyone, Juventus. You know, Bayern Munich will no doubt be knocking as well. Um, he's set for huge things and he's still I think he's still 20 years old he's, he's, he's ridiculous he's the youngest player to have reached 30 Bundesliga goals um, he got that earlier this season and he just was head and shoulders above everyone else on the pitch really great performance well talking about Kai Havertz and only being 20 leads us very nicely into what we are mostly going to be discussing today and that is like we said earlier is the Bundesliga the place to be for young stars so if we obviously compare the Bundesliga to the other major leagues um, in Europe, um, obviously the Premier League, Ligue 1, um, La Liga, um, Serie A, you know, is the Bundesliga the place to be for young stars? And having spoken to you, obviously, you know, a lot over the years and and in particular today about this topic um, we were going to be discussing, we're both in agreement that right now it is the place to be, isn't it, for young stars that are looking to make their stamp on the game or to mark their stamp on the game, should I say? In my opinion, yes. I think uh, if you're a young player coming through, um, in one of the top leagues in uh, in Europe, then certainly your eyes will be on on Germany, the Bundesliga, even Bundesliga too, uh, as a as a great uh, place to develop your talents, to hone your skills, um, a place where you can go and, and make that next step. Yeah, I mean we've um, already seen like recently in re- um, Xavier Amici, who's one of the you know was one of the highest rated players in in England. Um, Leave to go and join Hamburger in, in Bundesliga too. So as you said, it's not just yeah. Bundesliga, it's, it's the second division as well. It's, there's a pathway there, isn't there? Oh yeah, a million percent. And I think obviously the leading light which which everyone brings up is is Jaden Sancho. Um, he made what you know looks now, well it definitely is, uh, a really smart move uh, back when he was a, a young lad who hadn't played uh, first team football. Um, everyone's seeing that now as... Uh, you know, it was a really, really smart move that it's, it's going to pay off big time for him. He's been allowed to have the minutes. He's been allowed to develop. He's developed into a, a huge player, a huge star. Um, and he's done that in the Bundesliga. So then you've seen then, since then, a, a lot of young players look over to Germany and think this is the this is the place where I'm going to be able to develop my talents and make that next crucial step. Uh, but why why do you think that is, Harry? Is, that, um, is there something about the league that lends itself to that? 
Um, or do you think that's just a, a coincidence? What do you think it is about the Bundesliga? Um, well, I think if we look at the most dominating leagues um, or the most dominating, we've discussed it already about the trends and the cycle the football goes in and, and we're both in agreement that the current cycle is very much about being vertical, dynamic, aggressive, athletic. And I think the Bundesliga has a lot of similarities with the Premier League in that regards. Um, the Premier League, the financial aspect is, um, you know, so far superior to the rest of the leagues in, in, in Europe and, and the world that, um, well, you know, maybe not China, but uh, certainly the rest of Europe. Um, and I think that obviously, you know, the Bundesliga clubs, they'll look to those English talents um, because, as we said, the, the Premier League is arguably the best league in the world um, because they, they suit that style of football and they suit the style of football they play in Germany. You know, if a Bundesliga club, we speak to Bundesliga clubs a lot. You know, we, we're currently helping push um, players in England over to Germany, young players. And, yeah. you know, we get told that Bundesliga teams and German clubs, they like English players and English-based players because of their profile, athleticism and aggression and intensity in it, and it suits the Bundesliga. So I think that's why you see a lot of English players and British-based players go abroad because they're not going to get the chances at the Premier League clubs, but they will do at the Bundesliga clubs. In terms of why perhaps the Bundesliga provides more of a pathway, I think the biggest reason, I can only really look at the biggest reason being financial reasons because a Man City, for example, they don't have to give Phil Foden and Jaden Braff, who we'll talk about later, they don't have to give those players a chance because they will go and buy a multi-million pound player in the same position and obviously to compete for the major titles. Clubs in Germany, apart from Bayern Munich, don't really have them finances. So they have to buy smart. Now, uh, if you look at, let's say, the club underneath Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, they haven't got the financial power to go and buy a player at his prime. So they've got really two options to sign. They can buy a player past his prime, which, you know, when we're looking at the leagues and cycle of football becoming more athletic, probably isn't ideal. Um, or they can buy young stars that they believe are ready for the first team or will be ready for the first team in the near future. And I think that's the biggest reason. that It can only be financial because... Let's say, for example, the idea of sport is to win. Now, let's say all of a sudden pick a random club in the Bundesliga, um, Augsburg. Let's say, for example, they get billionaire owners and they are allowed to sign whoever they want, whenever they want. Are they really going to sign the young stars or are they going to sign the big superstars to become established? They're going to sign the big superstars to become established. So I think the major reason um, and the biggest difference is because they simply can't afford to buy the stars, but it's still a very high quality league, which is an attraction for players to go and move towards. Um, and those are the reasons for me. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, I think to certainly a couple of things there. Definitely the structure of ownership in Germany being different. Uh, the ruling they have that they can't be taken over by, um, let's say, a big sugar daddy, for want of another word. So you can't have an Abramovich taking over. You can't have a shake buying Newcastle as what we're seeing happen now or the... Or the um, uh, the riches coming in and, and buying the likes of Manchester United and, and Manchester City, um, that can't happen in Germany. So you're right, they have to look at, it, at things in a different way. They just have a different model of, of ownership over there. Um, I think that has an effect. I also think there's an effect, something to be said for the coaching as well. Um, I do think they develop players or they allow players to develop a little bit later. Um, so they're happy for players to develop into their 20s, 21, 22, that kind of an age. I think we're rushing players over in England. I do think we expect, I think it's because of the speed of the league and the intensity of the league. We sometimes overplay that factor. Um, the German league maybe is slightly, very slightly slower, but it's, a, it's still a very intense league. Yeah, it's similar, um, but it is, of course, slower, isn't it? It is, it's not, Owen, it is not as quick or intense as the Premier League. 
Right, it's not maybe not across the board, but it's still very intense if you compare it to Serie A or La Liga, obviously, and certainly Liga. It's definitely the second most in terms of intensity. So certainly for English players coming through or players who've been at English academies, it's a worthwhile um, path because of the things you said. So traditionally, English players have always had, I mean, I'm just talking in generalities, but traditionally English players have been valued for their hard running, their honesty in terms of, you know, they're, uh, they're well-disciplined, they're um, humble players who are going to put in the, the hard work and the graft. That's that's something how, that's how Europe sees uh, English players traditionally. Um, but over the last 15 years, certainly we've seen uh, the technical abilities of, of young English players coming through, or young British players, I should say, um, improving a lot remarkably. So now uh, if you're a German club or a club from abroad, you can you can get the best of both worlds. So you can get a player who's been versed um, in different tactical systems when he's come through a Premier League academy or or even a championship academy or whatever it might be. He's also going to be um, have all of those attributes you'd expect from a British player. He's going to be he's going to be able to run. He's going to be hard work and he's going to be humble and honest. He's going to get up and down, you know, because of the league, because of the demands of the the British uh, leagues, the English leagues. He's going to have that. Um, but then also now he's going to have the technical ability to be able to cope and play uh, and play that European style. So that's why that's also why I think they, you're seeing these players come through. And then also there's something to be said. Um, you always need a, a role model or a leader to go after. So um, it's almost like uh, you need a uh, you need one to start and then the floodgates can open. So if you think about uh, Maradona, Maradona, one of the greatest players of all time. Um, you know, number 10 for Argentina. So, you know, every young player growing up now, uh, for many years after Maradona was, you know, finished playing, he's the hero. So it's no surprise they continuously come up with talented number 10s, talented players who play in a number 10 or a center attacking midfield role. Well, we work with, we've done work with River Plate, haven't they? Haven't we? And we, and River Plate have told us that Every academy coach must play the four the uh, four four two diamonds, and yep. they prioritise the number ten position. Every everything goes through the number ten, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. So, so you've got you've got a front runner who sets sets the tone. Now, everyone, every young uh, young lad or young girl growing up playing football wants to be the next Maradona. And so now, what we're going to see um, is you've seen a player go abroad, is in Jaden Sancho. You've seen him make a success of it. And then you've seen Reese Nelson go over and be successful and come back. Now the list is growing and growing and growing. So once you get one who sort of lights the way, then the floodgates are open. Then people have that bravery to go, do you know what? That's actually a really good route for me. That's a really um, uh, a good pathway for me. And I think there's that there's that, um, that, that, that pathway has been set now. There used to be a little bit of fear before, maybe a little bit of apprehension about playing abroad. Am I going to be able to come back? and play um am i gonna have to learn a different culture or whatever uh but now we've had those success stories i think it's gonna be you're gonna see much much more uh, british players going over to the bundesliga not just british players from all over there's already some fantastic young players over there but i think that pathway is going to be uh used more and more and more so for me it is definitely the place to be if you're a young if you're a young talent uh, making his way in the game right now i also think there's an argument there that perhaps there isn't that much choice for the young players in terms of what they're looking for. So if you're a young player coming, you know, looking to, to break through right now, you're looking for obviously, ideally, depending on the caliber of player you are, let's say you are a Haaland or a Sancho, you're looking for a good league to play in and show what you've got, of course. 
but you're looking for a league that um, suits how you play and of course gives you a chance now if you look at the other major leagues in Europe let's say the top five the typical top five now I think we're both in agreement that Syria and Liga are you know they're, they're quite a bit below the other three leagues aren't they the Bundesliga La Liga and Premier League would you agree with that overall yeah for sure so you know if you are a player like Haaland are you going to join a club in Liga? probably not are you going to join a club in Syria at the moment probably not so you've got three other options are you going to join the Premier League club well as we said the Premier League perhaps doesn't provide the pathway um, into the first team at the moment or as soon as um, as you said earlier we can rush plays in England and the Bundesliga as you've said a few times is uh, is very good at polishing up the young stars and making them ready um, so the Premier League isn't really too much of an option for many players and that's why a lot of players leave um, La Liga isn't really an option because La Liga and Spanish football is that will never change and where we're in the current cycle of football being very athletic and dynamic um, not many players suit playing in Spain so for me if you look at what's left there's only really the Bundesliga that's left um, in terms of if you are that kind of player like Sancho and Haaland that's looking to play established first team football at a high level maybe Bundesliga is the only league that's left for you to do it yeah, I think stylistically as well, it, it lends itself to those more athletic players, like you said. So Italian football is still a slow pace. Um, it's it's much more of a tactical arm wrestle as it's always been. Um, so I think that's that's maybe the downfall there for young. I mean, they've still got some terrific young players coming through, um, but it's not so much of a of a breeding ground for them. Um, but I think because it's so close to the Premier League in terms of style, in terms of the intensity and the pace of it, and the, and the physicality of it that it just replicates that style perfectly. Um, so if you are a young player, and there are more and more young players who are um, uh, athletic and you know technically skilled, uh, football's going in the direction now of being more vertical, more about pace, more about being direct. Um, so then it's, it's going to lend itself to that. I also think with the Premier League, where you've got, you used to have, you know, a, a big five, they used to call it. Now, if you look at this, this season we're currently in, you've got um, this... <laughs> There's lots of big teams. So with, with the big teams comes pressure. So if you look, we've got Manchester City and Liverpool leading the way by miles. You've got Chelsea, Leicester. You know, Leicester are in there for a reason. They're a very good side. Um, Manchester United, Tottenham, Arsenal. I mean, you know, two are going to miss out. At least two are going to miss out. And that's not to do any disrespect to... Yeah, no disrespect to Wolves either up there for a yeah, reason. Yeah, they're knocking on the door. So you touched on it earlier. If you're a, if you're a manager trying to put... Um, a team together that has to come in the top four. So let's look at Chelsea, for example. Um, Lampard might have it perceived to be a bit of a free hit because of the transfer ban, but, you know, Abramovich is a demanding owner. So Chelsea have to come in the top four. So does he come in the top four uh, or does he risk that and play Billy Gilmore 20 games? You know, it's it's so it's understandable that he wouldn't. You know, is, is that player ready? Is it the best thing? Same thing with Phil Foden. People complain Phil Foden doesn't play, doesn't get the minutes. Yeah, because Matt, because Guardiola has to win the title. And if he doesn't win the title, so he's not going to win the title this year, whether it gets completed or not, he's going to finish like well short of Liverpool. We can't do it again next year. They just won't, you know, it's, it's unacceptable at that level. I'm not saying it shouldn't be unacceptable, but I'm just saying he, he'll find himself out of a job. So um, can he really play Phil Foden uh, for 38 games? But I think where you've got uh, in Germany, you've got, uh, you know, Bayern Munich having won the league, I think, is it eight on the bounce, nine on the bounce? Um, Got to be nine soon. (laughs) Unless Dortmund could do something about it. Um, 
So, you know, there's maybe a little bit less pressure on, let's say, Dortmund or let's say Leverkusen or Mönchengladbach or Leipzig. So, okay, it's not a, it's not a crime at all to not win the league in the Bundesliga, as as you said, by as we said, Bayern Munich are far and away the best side. If you lose the league to them, it's no crime. But jobs are still on the line, finance is still on the line, and if you look at the clubs that are currently fighting for the Champions League places in Bundesliga, there's quite a few of them. And if you are one of the clubs to miss out, that's a lot of pressure. Why is that different in the Bundesliga compared to the Premier League? Why is it okay, for example, for for, you know, let's say this season by Leverkusen miss out on the Champions League. Why is it okay for them to do that? But perhaps it's not okay for Arsenal to miss out on the Champions League. Why is the pressure different, do you think? Well, I think by Leverkusen have had a period of, of achieving uh, Champions League, but that was a few years back. And they've been they've been knocking around just outside those positions for a while. So it's not like they're in the same position as Arsenal. Arsenal have now elevated themselves where they see themselves as having to finish in the top four. Um <laughs> Whereas outside of Bayern Munich and Dortmund, really, I mean, Schalke last season were closer to relegation. I see. Then, uh, so you think it's then, because then it, of the amount of established clubs in England who say, no, we really should be in the Champions League is a difference. Whereas perhaps clubs like Leipzig and Leverkusen and Mönchengladbach, they don't really have the right to demand that yet. Is that what you're saying the difference is? I would, th- I would think so, yeah. Especially because uh, for those clubs, let's say Leverkusen, for example, Leverkusen have a fantastic team. Okay, they've still got Kai Havertz. Well, they used to have Julian Brandt as well. And they lost him to one of the big two. And so there's a very good chance they'll lose Kai Havertz to one of the big two as well, if not a club abroad. So can they really expect to keep keep pushing on forwards and keep, you know, consistently coming to top four? Or is that unrealistic? You know, so then it, it knows in that environment, um, if it's not about that, if that's not the be-all and end-all, then of course you can develop young players. But I think it's a fact. It's it's a range of factors. One, it's uh, it's the league that closely, most closely resembles the Premier League in terms of physicality and intensity. Um, two, I think um, the the style of football allows uh, young players to develop at a slightly later age. So I think there's that. Three, you've had someone um, lead the way. Jaden Sancho being the uh, the flag bearer. Obviously, people have gone before, but he's the flag bearer who's really shone the light on that pathway. And so now that that's led to an increased confidence, increased confidence in clubs in sending their players over there for loans, like like Arsenal did with Reese Nelson. Increased confidence for young players that they can do it over there, they can adapt, and they can uh, you know make a successful career in the Bundesliga or use it as a stepping stone, whatever it might be. Um, so I think it's a range of factors, and any ownership as well. The fact that they don't have it's not open to foreign ownership, where where you can just get a, a big sugar daddy owner who comes in and splashes the cash. That's not the case in Germany. Um, so then, you know, coaches are forced um, to develop talent. Yeah. I mean, while we're discussing, obviously, you know, is the Bundesliga the place to be for for the young stars? We probably do have to name drop quite a few of them. I mean, we've already spoken yeah. quite a lot about Havertz, but I mean, even just sticking to Leverkusen, the amount of young stars they have in their first team or in their first team squad... They've signed, you know, another young, superb centre-back in January, Tapsoba, um, 21 yeah. years old. Kai Havertz, 20. Leon Bailey, yeah. he feels like he's been around for years. He's only 22. Diaby, they yeah. got from PSG in the, in, in the summer. He's been a fantastic signing. 20. Paulinho, 19. Um, Ezekiel Palacios, I believe he's... Is he 19, Ezekiel um, Palacios? Um, uh, Paulinho's... Yeah, Paulinho's 19. Palacios is 21. But Palacios, I mean, he hasn't had much... He hasn't had much game time at the moment, but he's, you know, he's been capped... He's got four caps for Argentina. Uh, they're expecting big things. He'd already played 
uh, about 50 games for River Plate. Um, so there's, there's certainly big things coming from him. Paulinho, this is a, a 19-year-old who'd already played a bunch of games for Vasco da Gama in the top level in Brazil. Um, so they, they, they're chock full of exciting talent. Obviously, Kai Havertz is the leading, the leading light. I mean, that's just one club. And that's a club that is arguably, yeah. I mean, they're probably not any more. Well, I mean, they are arguably still in with the title shout. Um, you know, they are there or thereabouts. But, you know, we've just, they won't win it. But, you know, they are in that conversation just about. But that's a club that's arguably t- challenging for the title. And we've just listed off five or six players that are very, very young, that's heavily involved in their first team squad and their first 11. That's insane. In, in a good, in a good way, in a good way. I'm not saying that as a negative, you know. That, but that is insane that you can be a title, that you are a title challenger in modern day football, and and you have that many young stars. And if you look at another title challenger, um, RB Leipzig, for example, you've got you know Tyler Adams, a fantastic young talent, Upa Makana, who's you know the envy of every club in Europe, apparently. Um, Mukele at the back as well, Ampadu from online from Chelsea, and Kuku they got from PSG in the summer, like Leipzig, like Leverkusen got Diaby. You know, that's another title challenging team. And I've just listed off another load of young stars that are in the first 11 and, and they're challenging for the title. Yeah, but I think uh, I, I think it does come back to what I was talking about. They're, okay, they're six or seven points off the top of the league. Um, I think it would be a stretch to say Bayer Leverkusen or Leipzig are challenging for the title. Even in their wildest dreams, I don't think they even started the season thinking they can win, win the league. Um, I, think, I think the remit for those two teams is, is third. Because I mean, like for one of the top two not to win it would would take an incredible um, run of events, series of events, um, which is just unforeseeable. Um, you know, there's what is there left to go? Ten games, less than ten games left to go. Um, there's seven points. Leipzig are seven points behind Bayern Munich. Okay, mathematically, of course they can. Of course they can do that one. Did they see that as a as as this being their chance to win the title this season? I don't think so. Same for Leverkusen. Leverkusen are fighting against uh, Wolfsburg, Leipzig, Mönchengladbach, Dortmund. You would argue Schalke this season um, to potentially come in the um, in the top four. They've done amazingly, and it looks like they they've got every chance of coming in the top four. But I think that's the remit. I think that is that's the the edge of what they can achieve uh, with that team. So then I think it does become a little bit easier to blood young players. Yes, no, but you know. I'll, more, my point was more that how impressive it is that they have argued oh, yeah. been in with the title change with the squad, you know, filled with so many youngsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, 100%. are there any names that we perhaps haven't mentioned that stick out to you? I mean, even if you look at, so we're all speaking about how it's perhaps easier for for the um, for the clubs just below the title challenges to to blood young stars, but even if you look at the top two, you know, Dortmund this year, it looks like they're going to give. You know, chances to Reiner, um, who's a fantastic yeah. young talent. Are you going to talk about him later? Um, yeah. You know, Sancho was very young when he first got his chance. He's been around for a year, for a few years now, so it seems like he's experienced and he is experienced. But you know, he's still a young, he's still a young, young star as well. Obviously, Haaland leading the attack. Obviously, a young star, and even at Bayern Munich, I mean, they're not quite the same, but they still have some young footballers that are, you know, are, 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 you know, at the early stage of their career. Alfonso Davis is. He's arguably one of the best left-backs in the world now. They've given him a chance. Um, Joshua Xerxes, he got a few minutes, didn't he? And, and, he's, um, yeah. and he performed. He got a few goals. He's a young star that you know they gave a chance to. So, you know, it is a running theme throughout all the, Premier, all the Bundesliga clubs, isn't it? To give chances to their young players at the moment. Yeah, and I, I think we're seeing a level below that. Even younger players coming through. Uh, there's been some 
uh, high-profile academy moves or players who've, you know, youth players who've, mo- who've made the move. So Noah Ohio um, who jumped across from Man City. I think he joined Leipzig, was it? Um, which I think is a really, re- I think that's a great move. I think it's a really smart move. He suits the profile of the club, doesn't he? You know, the, the he fits yeah. he fits in with the Leipzig philosophy. Very dynamic, very aggressive, athletic. Um, yeah. You know, I think he's a terrific player, young uh, young Dutch uh, forward, who I think he'll do really really well. I think that's exactly the the, the stepping stone we were talking about. He's obviously reached a certain stage of his career, and he sees that as the best the best place to develop himself to the next level. Um, you've seen you, you talked about it, Gio Reyna. Uh, getting more and more minutes at Dortmund. He's really, really highly rated. You've got Rabi Matondo, who made another big move uh, f- for a fair bit of money over to um, over to Schalke. Yeah, another uh, one from Man City. Of, um... <laughs> yeah, another one from Man City, Jaden Braff. There's been a lot of talk from uh, of Jaden Braff uh, just in the papers in Germany, I know in Holland and in England, uh, about German clubs tracking his progress. Yeah, so there's been a lot of paper talk already about uh, Jaden Braff. We've, we've heard from the papers in... Um, a lot of coverage from over in Holland, a lot of coverage from uh, Germany in England about his uh, progress being tracked by um, by the top German clubs. So it'll be interesting to see if that one if that one pans out. There's a young uh, American player playing for Werder Bremen at the moment, a young forward, Josh Sargent. I think he's still 20. Um, and there's, there's a whole host of, uh, of young players who are, are using the Bundesliga as as the next step uh, in their development. So I think it's an exciting place to be, certainly for the fans as well, to see, um, it's always great to see young players coming through. So I think for the next couple of years, at least, that's going to be the place to be for young talents. Can you see that, I was going to, that's literally my next question. So you can see for the next few years then this trend continuing, or do you think the Premier League, do you think the Premier League has to get a handle on it and give young players more a chance? Or do you think that it's really not too much of an issue when you've got the finances of the clubs in England? And do you think they'll just carry on as they are? I think it'll carry on as it is, mate. I think uh, with the finances in England, uh, you, you're seeing that the league is is further ahead because of the ownership, because of the deals that they can cut. Um, the fact, you know, we've just seen Newcastle United probably on the verge of, of new owners as well. So that's going to put them into another bracket. So they tend to be a buy-in league. Um, and I have every sympathy. You know, people want to see young players coming through. But, you know, if, if you have the finances and you can go out and buy an established uh established international player then and you want to win the league then why would you buy a 19 year old uh starlet who might make the who might make the difference for you i think you're seeing more and more clubs in england uh buy in talents uh and more and more clubs in germany having the same approach as dortmund i mean lars ricken came out and said it that's their approach he did a big there was a big piece from lars ricken about a month or two ago about dortmund's approach um and they basically you know they, they have a, they're really successful at it Buying um, young talents on the verge of on the on the verge of exploding, you know, just just on the cusp of becoming uh, that special player, and they they back their coaching development, they back their um, they back their pathways, they back their system in there to um, give them that extra push over the line, and that's what we're seeing now with Haaland, and I think more and more clubs in Germany are looking at that approach and um, going down the same route. Indeed. So if you are a fan of the young stars, the Bundesliga is definitely the league to watch currently and for the next few years. After the break, we will be doing Coaches Battle. Coaches Battle. Before we get on to this week's Coaches Battle, I do have the results for last week's battle. And I'm sorry to say, Rich, I've got my two goal advantage back. No. Yep. 3 1 to me. Yep. Yep. The public have answered. They've decided. I have got my two-goal lead back and I am storming home to the title. 
How many do we need to do before we decide that you know there's an actual winner and an actual title? <laughs> do we do well, best of ten? I- I'm never out of it, man. I'm gonna keep going. Come on. Listen, it's gonna get to a stage where you're gonna have to call it quits at some point and agree to buy, buy me that round of drinks. We just need to regroup. We're not allowed drinks at the moment. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> I could buy you a virtual drink. I'll buy you a drink on Zoom. Is that okay, Zach? Out. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, on this week's coaches battle, we are going to stick to the theme of uh, youngsters in the Bundesliga. We've decided to pick two teams, or one team each, I should say, and we're basically going to argue which team has the better set of youngsters. Now, I have to be completely honest. Richard jumped in before I had a chance to to say who I wanted and nabbed Leverkusen. We decided to leave the uh, the the big two out of it, so we picked all the teams below that. Any, or we could pick any two teams below uh, Bayern Munich and Dortmund and before I had a chance to say what I wanted Richard jumped in and got Leverkusen which is who I wanted as well but I have got RB Leipzig and I'm very confident that I can argue the case that RB Leipzig have some outstanding youngsters and they have the best in the Bundesliga so I will go first this week because I made you go first last week Richard so if you want to get the timer out mate right are you ready I am indeed okay mate your 30 seconds starts now. We are talking about this week, obviously, how Bundesliga teams are full of young stars and the Leipzig team Leipzig team has done fantastic this year in Europe and in the Bundesliga, um, despite a squad full of young stars. So they must be doing fantastic. Um, and it's through the core of the team as well, the likes of Upamecano, a centre-back that's the envy of, seems to be, most clubs in Europe. And Cuckoo has come in from PSG and performed fantastically. The squad is full of young, vibrant, energetic players that fit the current cycle of football and they are currently performing better than Leipzig, than Leverkusen, um, I should say. And that is why they are better than your team, Richards. You're done. Okay, just on the money there. Just on the money. I was just about to run out of things to say. (laughs) Good effort though, man. I like that. Very good. Strong argument. Okay, so are you ready for yours? In the bag. Let's go. All right, so you can start in three, two, one, go. Okay, Bayer Leverkusen have a history of young players coming through and this season is no different to any other. Uh, They're still performing fantastically. They're just one point outside the top four. Uh, They've got talent spread all throughout the team. We spoke about him earlier, Tapsoba, amazing young centre-back who they've brought in for big money. Uh, Probably the best young talent in Europe at the moment, Kai Havertz, performing with goals and assists. Leon Bailey on the wing. Uh, two players from South America, Paulinho, another from the long line of Brazilian players coming through. Palacios and Argentina, we're going to hear lots and lots more about. So, Hi, for me there you go, you're done. I thought I did well. Yeah, you've done right there, actually, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, as I said, I have to be honest, I did kind of want Leverkusen, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> it's At the end of the day, it's not necessarily, and we need to caveat this, actually, it's not necessarily the opinion of, or, of you know, the public and the and the listeners um, in terms of who they think is best is who argued it best. So who they thought won the coaches battle. So, you know, people might be saying, well, you're just giving the ring to Richard right now because, you know, you wanted Leverkusen. Well, no, if you think I argued my case better, that is who wins it. Okay. But no, I thought to be fair, Richard, you did do quite well there. So that's this week's coaches battle. And it is now time for best of. And the best of the week is... For this week's best of, we are again going to stick it to the um, keep it to the theme of Bundesliga Wonder Kids, and we've picked a Wonder Kids each that in the Bundesliga that we want to talk about in detail. So, Richard, who have you got? Uh, I've gone for Gio Reyna at Dortmund, mate. I'm a big fan of his, so I'm going to talk a little bit about him. 
And I am going to go for Tapsoba, who Leverkusen bought um, in January for for big money um, for a young star, especially considering that, you know, not many people heard of him or had heard of him beforehand. Um, So I'm going to be talking about him. So if you want to kick us off, Richard, um, talking about Gio Reyna. Yeah, I think for me, Gio Reyna is one of the one of the best young talents, uh, certainly in the Bundesliga, but actually across uh, across European football and, and world football as well. So this is uh, the son of Claudio Reyna, uh, the USA national team player. Obviously, played in England for a while as well. And, and Gio Reyna is actually born in born in Sunderland, so he qualifies uh, he qualifies to play for England, uh, the US, and I think Portugal as well. Um, and obviously he's been picked up by Dortmund. He's, be, he's been getting some minutes, so he, I think he made his debut earlier this season, um, just be, just after the winter break. He's actually got his first goal as well in the Cup. Uh, a really, really exciting uh, forward player, attacking midfielder. Uh, very athletic, uh, very easy on the eye, very good watch. I think I first came across him at the um, Under-17 World Cup, um, which was a, a brilliant event, and he was playing for the USA in that, obviously, and... Um, he was part of a, a limited team, let's say they weren't um, they weren't blessed with many um, technicians, but he was by by miles the best player in that squad. I know he didn't um, he didn't light up that tournament particularly because the, you know the states sort of underperformed a little bit, but we just got to see some glimpses of his talents and obviously Dortmund think really highly of him, 17 years old and he's breaking into the first team already, and it's you know this is in it. He's playing amongst players in the same position as him. As you know, he's up against Sancho, he's up against Marco Royce, he's up against uh, Erling Haaland. These, this is a team that's chock full of uh, really exciting uh, attacking talent, and he's managing to play alongside them at 17 years old. I think he made the bench the other day against Schalke. It was unused. Well, he was supposed to um, start. No, no, he was supposed to start against Schalke, but he pulled up with right. an injury, so he was in actually the starting lineup. But they had to make a last-minute ch- adjustment to their starting lineup. Wow, so that tells you everything about how highly they rate this young player. They're willing to play him in the starting lineup against Schalke, which is arguably their, one of their biggest games um, of the season. Schalke are at home. They've obviously got a lot of faith in him. And Dortmund's track record for, for, um, for developing young players is second to none. So I think we're going to see huge things out of this player. Um, he's been likened to uh, Kaka in some, uh, in some quarters. I don't quite see that. I don't see the goal threat uh, that Kaka had. I mean, that's pretty big. That's a pretty big uh, label to stick on a player at a young age, which I'm not a massive fan of. But um, he's a really uh, elegant player with the ball, um, can take the ball in his stride very, very well, can attack from deep, uh, has got an eye for goal, uh, technically sound, can run with the ball very, very well. So he's going to be a threat either dribbling at players or driving through players, uh, can go right or left. Um, I, he's adept at playing through the middle or you could play him wide right as well. Um, just a really, really attacking uh, and really exciting young player that I think Dortmund have uh, they, they've done it again and in the next season or so we, we're going to be hearing the name of Gio Reyna more and more so for me he's the one to watch yeah no fantastic choice like yourself I, I first uh, really watched watched him um, in the under 17 World Cup a fantastic tournament and there was just so many stars in that tournament that you know were going to well, should go on and push on and he was definitely on that, that kind of level um, no a fantastic player fantastic young talent and we are definitely going to hear a lot more about him. Um, yep, yeah, like I said earlier, my player is Edmund Tapsoba, um, who Leverkusen signed for big money. Um, he's a Burkina Faso international. He is a centre-back, for those of you who don't know. And they signed him from Vitorio Guimaraes um, in the Portuguese First Division. They signed him for a lot of money. Um, you know, 18 million euros, plus, um, you know, an extra 7 million um, based on objectives. Um 
that's a lot of money for a young centre-back that's come from the Portuguese league. But, you know, Leverkusen are famous for, for signing that kind of young star that perhaps isn't broadly known. But, you know, for actually quite big money, you know, they, they signed Polino for a good amount of money as well. And and then do get it right quite often. And I believe they've got it right with this young man. Um, he's a big towering centre-back. Um, he's six foot three. Um, he knows where the goal is for a centre-back. He's uh, he played 16 uh, league games for Vittoria this year and he uh, he scored four goals. So, so a 1-4 record for a centre-back isn't too bad. And since he joined Leverkusen in, in January, he's um, he's made six appearances. And, you know, he's, he's one of those rarities that um, I look for in a centre-back and I, I call it composed aggression. And it's like it's it's, it's an aggression that that also has that calming influence and that measured aggression um, that you know just brings brings a aura around him and settles the team down. He's he's so composed on the ball, but not in a sense that he causes panic. Um, he's a fantastic defender, good athleticism, reads the game well, um, and yeah, he's a very good ball playing centre back. And like I said, he has that composed aggression, which is not many centre backs have that. You know the. The one that has that more than most at the moment is Van Dyke. I'm not saying he's like Van Dyke at all, but you know, it's a special talent for a young centre back to be able to come into a team, you know, again arguably challenging for the title and bring that sense of calm, that aura about him. That's a that's a really interesting point, and that's I think that's something we're seeing. That's a, it's a really good choice of a player. And I think what you just spoke about that that calmness. Uh, was it control, controlled aggression you called it? or car, car, Yeah, composed aggression. It's like an assertiveness composed and a dominance. Yeah. Very aggressive, but, but in a calming way because you can obviously have aggression where players can, can make you very nervous. Are they about to completely break out from their back line and, and charge to try and cut, close down the player unnecessarily and go through him? Are they going to take unnecessary risks? You know, there's that type of aggression. But then you have the car, the composed aggression where they're assertive, they take charge of situations, they're dominant in the way they have to be, but never through a sense of risk. They never feel like they're they're up taking an unnecessary risk. And he's one of those players I think has that. I think that's something we're seeing more and more that the clubs are looking for and, and teams are looking for. That for me, that composed aggression is almost like an X factor skill. This is this is what makes the difference at both ends of the pitch. So if we think about someone like Sancho, this is an amazing 1v1 player, can make players look silly. But when it comes to the crunch, when it comes to the final moment of the delivering the, the pass, the weight of pass, the touch, making the correct decision, in that in that moment of uh, chaos, he remains composed, and that's why his assists, his numbers are through the roof. Now we're talking about uh, this young centre back taps over. He has the same thing there. Um, Van Dijk, obviously, we're talking about him. There's another young centre back at Liverpool, uh, Kijana Hoover, uh, or you know, it doesn't necessarily have to play centre back. He can also play right back as well in various other positions. Um, that's one standout um, attribute of his. If we look at Erling Haaland, his finish against Schalke. You know, it's just unerringly calm. Assertiveness, isn't it? Assertive. Yeah, there's that assertiveness and aggression, like you said, to get you into the moment, um, whether it be defending or or, um, uh, pulling the strings in midfield. We think of Phil Foden. He's a player we mention a lot. He's got that um, that calmness uh, about him as well. That's a real X factor. And I know from Man City, there's an interesting phrase they use. They call it calm in chaos. So it's one of the things they speak about with their academy players. Can you be calm in chaos? And it's one of the things they look for. So 
Can you rely on your technical ability? Can you rely on your decision-making at the moment of truth, at the moment of finishing or delivering the cross, you know, which has to be accurate or might be that final pass for your teammate at the end of a move. It might be defending where obviously that calmness and composure is really important. That's a real X factor. So for a young player like Tapsoba to have that already, it's, 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 um, it's telling, isn't it? Yeah, no, I'm a huge, huge fan of his and um, Leverkusen will hope to hold on to him for many years and, you know, have a successful career at Leverkusen and no doubt sell him on for a lot of money in a couple of years' time. Great shout, great shout. That was this week's Best Of. And before we wrap up, um, we should probably look at the upcoming Bundesliga fixtures in the next week. Um, it is, of course, the big one. There's a round of fixtures beforehand, but there is midweek fixtures next week. Um, but before that, you know, a standout game for me this weekend is uh, Mönchengladbach versus, versus Leverkusen. I'm guessing that's a standout one for you as well, Rich. Oh, that's going to be really exciting. I mean, both those teams in the top. Uh, I think uh, Gladbach a third, Leverkusen a fifth. Um, I think there's two points separating them. That's going to be a massive game. Um, I would expect goals in that game, but then, you know, I've <laughs> probably jinxed it now. Um, but I would have thought that's got to have goals in it. So if you're going to watch one game this weekend, that would be it. Dortmund travel to Wolfsburg. Um, that's a tricky place to go, but you'd expect them to keep the pressure on Bayern Munich. Um, and Bayern Munich play um, Eintracht Frankfurt, which is by no means a rollover, but being at home, you know, and I know there's no fans there, but having that advantage and the fact that they're top of the league, they should see them off, I would have thought. And then next Tuesday, we've got a big one, Dortmund at home to Bayern. Yeah, that's the crunch game. Tuesday the 26th, that's the one that's in the calendar. We're looking forward to that massive game. Obviously, by the time we do our next uh, uh, episode of the podcast, we'll be talking about that game. Um couldn't be any bigger really ideally they both go into that game uh there should be one point separating the two if everything goes to plan this weekend i guess uh, then it's you know dortmund have that chance to to regain top spot or to Bayern munich pull away um that will be a massive game so really interesting to see that one yeah i mean the viewing figures for that game are going to go through the roof aren't they I would have thought so, yeah. Um, and that's actually one thing I just wanted to talk about quickly because we, we spoke about last week um, about uh, the Bundesliga perhaps uh, making hay or taking advantage of the fact that they're the, the major European league that's back, the only major European league that's back. Um, and the figures have come out and they've already done so they've already done that. So the viewing figures, they broke records um, in the UK uh, for the televised matches. Uh, over in the US, there was a stat that came out um, uh, for the Dortmund Schalke game um, on uh, the broadcaster Fox Sports, where they broadcasted in uh, in the states, uh, the the numbers, the viewing figures were reported to be up by seven hundred and twenty five percent, which is uh, so they're definitely taking some advantage in uh, in being the only the only top league in Europe at the moment that's uh, that's back. So I think that's an interesting point. I don't think they're going to have a huge advantage going forward. But I do think those big clubs are going to be working overtime to try and make inroads into those markets and try and take advantage as much as possible. So maybe every second, everyone's second favourite team could be Dortmund or, or Leverkusen or, or Mönchengladbach or, or something like that. So it's interesting to see. Definitely, definitely. And all that's left to do to wrap up the show is to say thanks to Richard. Thanks, mate. Thanks to you guys, the listeners. We'll be back next week. Go get in.